Welcome to the Money Answer Show with host Jordan Goodman. Whether you are starting out, deep into your retirement, or somewhere in between, the Money Answer Show has the know-how to help you. Now here's your host, Jordan Goodman. Welcome to the Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest this hour is Tom Bregelman. He is a real estate expert and CEO at GCA Equity Partners uh, based in Campbell, California. Welcome to the show, Tom. Great. Thank you, Jordan. Pleasure to be here. There you are. Great to be with you, Tom. Can you hear me so, right? I can hear you fine. Great. Yep. So let's just start with a little bit of your background uh, and how it's kind of led to uh, what you're doing now in the real estate market. But just start with your background a bit. Okay, sure. Yeah. So I got involved with real estate back when I was about 20 years old while I was still in college. I, I started by buying a duplex uh, and um, lived in one half of it while I did rehab and uh, finished that up, went to the other half and did that rehab. And then eventually, uh, actually right after that, the, ne- the duplex next door came for sale. And so I did that. So that was really the beginning of realizing what, um, what potential real estate had for me. And so um, since then, I've been doing real estate all my life for uh, 30, 30 plus years here. Um, got into, did quite a bit of developing uh, apartment complexes, combination, land development, you know, quite a variety of real estate. And, and it's always been, um, it's always been really good, good to me. So. So Tom, what is it that you like about real estate uh, that is not available in other investments? Well, I like the fact that, uh, well, what originally got me interested in it was the idea that one could get uh, uh, someone else to pay, really to pay the mortgage. And that's, that's how I started out with duplexes. And it, it, it was a way to uh, really kind of leverage up, leverage money. It was my, the, basically my beginning learning of, of leverage. And you know, I think that is still part of it. It's it's the ability to leverage not only the money aspect, but um, as you know, the 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 structure that we work with, we leverage a lot uh, a lot of other things other than just money. We can leverage experience and uh, um, knowledge, know how, uh, team members, all of that. So I, I guess leverage would be one thing, and the other is that when investing, it it's really a good, solid, hard asset, and it's something that can be evaluated. Uh, Quite, uh, quite easily because it can be uh, compared to other properties, other similar properties. So those are probably the two of the main reasons. So people think of real estate as very cyclical. So we've got big ups and big downs. I mean, a big down in 2008, 2009 when the mortgage market collapsed and so on. Uh, for an investor wanting to get in for the long term, where do we stand in the current economic cycle as far as real estate? Well, I think that, uh, you know, here in the Bay Area, things are still very strong. They have leveled out just a bit. Um, you know, I, I think what we're going to see and what we are seeing a bit is more, a little bit more in the secondary markets. Um, we have projects in, in Denver. We have projects in uh, the D.C. area. And those markets are still very strong. And don't get me wrong, even even uh, the Bay Area and Southern California, they're still very strong, but I think they've leveled out a bit. And some of these secondary markets, I guess they call them the, like 18-hour city markets, uh, where they um, there, there still is uh, uh, room for appreciation, room for growth, and, and um, the, the cap rates are going to be a bit better in some of those areas we find. What, what are the underlying economic forces... Uh, of supply and demand that make a real estate market 
go up or down and make it attractive or overpriced? Kind of what are the factors you look at in where you want to invest in a real estate market? Well, uh, so right now, I guess I'll try answering it this way. The, the real estate itself is when, when cash is readily available, like for instance right now with the interest rates being so low, there's a, a lot of cash out there and available for real estate transactions. It, it causes compression in the, in the cap rates. And so what we do is we try to find areas where there's, where there's room for appreciation, where we can, and I, I use the term forced appreciation. Uh, so we're, we're looking in markets where there's still very high demand for real estate but where we can actually build value into the equation by way of either, oh, I don't know, adding on to a, a property or, um, you know, uh, somehow increasing that value over a short period of time. So more, as much as anything, we look for the project itself and the team as, as the actual area that, that we invest in. So give me a sense of this whole concept of forced appreciation and maybe give me two or three examples of projects you've involved with that you've created appreciation based on improving the property, not waiting for overall inflation to make the price go up. Sure, yeah, so I'll give you an example. For instance, recently we had a project where the developer had a two-bedroom home. This is a small project. We do, we do quite a range of projects in size, but this was a small two-bedroom home uh, college community and there was a demand for, for college rental units and so by adding square footage to this unit the developer was able to increase it to a four bedroom he was able to increase the the value because the income from the property is increased substantially so over a short period of time over a nine to twelve month period that that value of that property can be forced or uh, the basically forced appreciation brought upon the property by way of those improvements. And so that's, that's why the model that we work with works, works quite well. So it was before he, you even did the project, you'd know that by offering four apartments instead of two within the same house, the same rough house, that there'd be much more income and therefore it would be worth them borrowing because no matter what the values were, you're increasing the cash flow from that property. Is that the idea? Yes, exactly. And uh, the way to do it is to go in and, and really understand the numbers, not only as they are, the values as they are, but also what's considered after repair or after completed value. And doing that comparison and then doing the performa on, on the rents and uh, the rental income, it can be determined before, uh, uh, before a hammer is even picked up what the, what the outcome is very likely to be based on that improvement and it can be de determined and, and handled over uh, a short period of time. It can, be, it, it can be pretty well sized up before the project is even started. And what would be another example of forced appreciation in addition to the one you just mentioned about the university house going from two to four places? Sure. There's, we've been involved with a couple of projects where, uh, for instance, apartment complexes. The area around is, is a good high quality area but the property itself may have been in the case that I'm thinking of the property was 
was let go. The, the previous owner was letting too many of the wrong, uh, sort of the not, not high enough quality tenants into the project and it, it deteriorated. And so what we were able to do is go in with the developer and help him get the financing, basically fund the project for him to get in bring it up to really the, the class of that area, the standard of that area. It was, it was basically a C minus property in a, in a B area. And by, by bringing the quality of the, the property up, it really, it, it obviously increases the value because property values on rental market, on rental properties are determined primarily by the income approach. And so that was a way where it was, it's, that would be more of what we call repositioning in order to get the property, uh, the forced value or forced appreciation onto that property. So typically, if you do a good forced appreciation project, what kind of value can you add percentage-wise? Is it 10% or 50%? Roughly, what kind of percentage appreciation is there if you do everything right? It, it depends on the strategy and the type of project, but we can see anywhere from up to 35 Forty percent of the value uh, as as an appreciation point. Um, generally speaking, the profit margins on something like that are going to be probably in the twelve to eighteen percent after the project is fully completed. So, but yeah, it, it depends on the strategy. Some projects, if they're really short term and they um, they don't need quite as much uh, appreciation for the project, if the if the term is short enough, because then the cost of capital is low enough to make it work out, and and the property can be turned around and resold relatively quickly. So that that still keeps the annualized rate up high enough to make it work, and and the values are there. So the safety and and um, um, yeah, basically the safety is is very uh, very solid at that point too. So your basic strategy is that the forced appreciation happens even in a declining real estate market. It's not based on overall appreciation in a particular real estate market. Is that the idea? That's correct. It's not, it's, it, it, it may be slightly affected by it, but it's certainly not the, the primary uh, uh, um, base of the increase in value. It's really about taking that particular property, taking that team, making sure that the, those two are in place, and then... On top of that, making sure that the, the need for the property, the, that the demand for the property, once it's completed and brought to that future value, if those three things come into play, then, then you, you can be pretty well assured that you've got a good project going. Is that very different than the way a lot of other real estate investors invest based on uh, hoping for appreciation as opposed to forced appreciation? Yeah, I think it, it's certainly different strategy, a different model. A lot of our developers will even do a combination where they bring it up to a certain level and then they'll go in and get a longer term financing and that then can be a long term play on top of what what is a short term forced appreciation play. But it's really two different strategies. One is long term. The one that we focus on is really a short term. It's generally Anywhere from six months to 18 months. If it's a large project, it may cycle and go into 24 months sometimes. But we like the idea of having it being a short, a shorter term, shorter cycle, because that also it, it, it creates additional safety because in case there is a shift in the market, the, it, 
real estate markets really don't shift that quick over time. And so we can, we can move our strategy accordingly a lot better by having a, a shorter term uh, a shorter term on the, the loan or on the project itself. Very good. All right, we're going to take a break. This is Jordan Goodman of The Money Answer Show. My guest this hour is Tom Bregelman. He's the CEO at GCA Equity Partners based in Campbell, California. We'll be back after this. Always talking business. Talk to an expert. Call now, toll free, 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. Bob Pritchard has over 30 years of experience as a straight-talking business consultant and author working with some of the top Fortune 500 companies. Now he's come to the Voice America Business Channel to help you and your business. Tune in to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show for information about starting and successfully running a profitable business. From the movers and shakers to great marketing screw-ups, you can't afford to miss a single edition of the Bob Pritchard Radio Show, Tuesdays at 5 p.m. Pacific, 8 p.m. Eastern on Voice America Business. Leadership is a vital skill set in today's competitive global economy. Being a leader is not enough. To succeed, you must optimize your performance and know how to imbue others in your organization with leadership skills. Practical, actionable leadership insights are the focus of Leadership Development News, hosted each Monday at 9 a.m. Pacific, noon Eastern, by Kathy Greenberg and Relly Nadler on the Voice America Business Channel. Doctors Greenberg and Nadler, who coach global leaders on how to be most effective, will share their insights and contacts. The path to leadership excellence begins here. We're always talking business. Talk to an expert. Call now. Toll free. 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. You've been listening to The Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman. If you have a question for Jordan or his guest, please call us now at 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Now back to Jordan. Welcome back to The Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest this hour is Tom Bregelman. He's the CEO at the GCA Equity Partners firm based in Campbell, California. Welcome back to the show, Tom. Thank you, Jordan. So you've taken the strategy... Uh, which is the kind of forced appreciation over a relatively short period of time, and now uh, implemented that into a fund. So tell me a little bit about what fund it is and and how that's all going to work. Okay, sure. So it is a uh, it's it's sort of a debt equity type of a fund where we um, investors that invest in the fund are they get an eight percent preferred rate of return. And we get paid only after the investors get that preferred rate of return. Um, there's an 18-month commitment on it. Um, the the you know, let's see, there's a profit-sharing component to it. But really, this 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 fund or this uh, yeah, basically the fund is set up to do this sort of short-term lending, short-term projects that we were talking about. And uh, yeah, any. Anything else I can share with you on that? So let's break that down piece at a time. So the first thing you said, it's 8%, which is, sounds quite high in an era when people are getting zero on their CDs and money market funds. So it's an 8% annual yield 
paid monthly. Is that correct? So how can you pay out such a high yield in such a low interest rate environment? Sure. Great question. Yeah, definitely. Yep. So when, when a de developer, and remember, I was a contractor developer for years, so I knew that there was really going to be a high demand for this type of product. But what we do is when, when we lend the money to the developer, they are, they are willing to pay a high rate of interest rate on it, a high rate of interest because of the fact that it is short term and because they are able to really bring that value up where there's enough room in the project by the time they're done to make this all work out. And um, so there's, there's definitely high demand on it. What it does for the developer, it allows them to be able to uh, really do what they're good at. They're able to leverage up their time and effort on doing the, the actual development process. And what, what we do is we create, it's almost like a joint venture between us and them. And so it, it really simplifies things, allows them to do what they're really good at. And that's why they're, they're, they're comfortable with doing a profit share and paying a high interest rate on their, on their money to get the project completed. So on the profit share, what is that a sharing profits and when the buildings are sold? It kind of explains how that profit share works and roughly what investors might expect over time to get on that profit sharing. Sure, sure. The way it works is that the a project, let's say, let's say it cycles for nine months. It takes nine months from the start of the loan to when the loan pays off. The developer, and we always build in interest reserves, so we know that that monthly interest payment is always going to be made by the developer because that's already been set aside in a third-party reserve account. So that, that will keep the cash flow coming to us, to the fund, on a monthly basis. Then once a project is completed and either sold or refinanced into some longer-term financing package, there is going to be a profit share that the fund gets from the de developer as being from type of a partner. And and that money then is 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 um, um, it's it's really uh, what's the word I'm trying to think of it's 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 basically paid at the time that the loan is paid out and that's when the fund will see that kind of a bump in its returns and so with multiple deals this fund having just a, a number of deals in it it gets not only is it diversified but it keeps those little those those, those hits of profits coming in on a regular basis and that's that then is whatever those profits are the investor then shares in 25 percent of those profits as well so um, hopefully that answers your question and how often are those profits uh, paid out to the investor uh, investors will see quarterly uh, uh, quarterly profit uh, checks and just and, roughly they, based, on, based on your experience what percentage they're getting the eight percent current yield but what percentage roughly should they expect over time in those quarterly profit distributions? Um, you know, I think it's reasonable to expect double digit. And the reason I say that is our, our track record, our history shows, uh, depends uh, on, on our previous fund, it was 11.4% over a, a four year average. It never went under double digit. And so um, if we continue with that strategy, which is our plan, I think double digit is, is very reasonable to expect. Um, although, I mean, you never, you never know. <laughs> for dis for disclosure's sake, we can never uh, say 
you know the rules. We just we re we really can't. Um, There's no guarantees. Uh, <laughs> right. Exactly. <laughs> so basically, what you're saying is people are going to get eight uh, percent yield paid monthly, and then another two or three percent, roughly, which would be the profit sharing, which would come to your ten, eleven percent. Is that basically what you're saying? Yeah, I think it'd be reasonable to expect that based on on uh, on previous track record. And, and what is and the minimum? They, can, they do have the option of rolling it back in. So it either can be monthly, monthly check from the interest and quarterly check from profit share, or those can just be rolled back in, and and you get the multiplying effect that way as well. And what is the minimum that people need to put in the fund? Uh, in this one, we have uh, uh, twenty five thousand. And what kind of fees are involved from the investor's point of view uh, for that twenty five thousand or whatever else they invest in the fund? Uh, we don't charge any upfront fees at all. We just what we where we make our uh, our management fees on it is when the project is is completed. We um, that's that's our way of uh, it. Just seems like a fair way to structure it. So the investor gets an eight percent preferred, and then uh, after that preferred return, then we get uh, paid a management fee uh, from that. So by preferred, you mean that the investor gets eight percent. Uh, upfront before you make anything, and then after you make something, so you are confident enough that you're going to earn it on the back end that you're not getting anything upfront. Is that an unusual way of doing things in the real estate market? Uh, I would say it, it is a bit unusual. Generally, there are upfront fees. I mean, you take um, well, like um, you know, um, just a lot of the, there are a lot of funds out there. I guess I would say that do charge upfront fees. Even mutual funds, that type of thing, there's there's typically upfront fees on on most everyone. So, I would say, yeah, it's a bit unusual for that. To so, so if you take an upfront fee, that's money that's taken away from the investor's capital. So, say it's a five percent upfront fee, they invest a hundred dollars, ninety five dollars is going to be invested. In your case, they invest a hundred dollars, a hundred dollars is going to be invested. So, they're getting off to a better start with your fund compared to others. Is that what you're saying? That is correct. Yes. Okay, so there's no fees. Uh, can this be put inside an individual retirement account, and what is the impact of having it in an IRA? Yes, it can be, and uh, it, the the benefit is really the compounding effect. If you're if you're not paying taxes on it, or if it's being tax deferred, it, it really can make a huge difference over time. So yes, it certainly can be uh, invested within a an IRA. So the money would be compounded, tax deferred in a regular traditional IRA. And the Roth IRA would be growing tax-free. So you're saying if you reinvest both the monthly 8% interest and the quarterly profit distributions whenever they come in, over time, if it's growing tax-free, it could really boost your return significantly. Is that what you're saying? Exactly, exactly. And that's what a lot of our investors do. They, they, they like it. They stay in for a long time. And it just it seems to work out well for them. If people wanted to find out more about this fund, uh, where do they go and what, what would be the next steps? Um, there's a short video that describes it a bit better. It's commercialrealestateincomefunds.com, and that's plural, F-U-N-D-S, commercial real estate income funds. Or uh, they could dial 888-444-2102. And so say they see that, what would be the next steps if they wanted to put 25000 or something either inside an IRA or outside an IRA? Uh, on on this site, I think that yeah, they'll be able to just click on that. It's really just a matter of contacting us, and uh, we'll we'll walk them through the steps from there. And can anybody get into this, or do you have to be 
an accredited investor? What kind of investor can invest in these kind of funds? Well, at this point, uh, accredited and non-accredited can be can be accepted. We are we are uh, eventually here in the next month or two. We're going with the new uh, regulation A plus, and so that'll that'll bring along some some interesting things as well. But it means anybody, no matter how much money you've got, you don't have to have a million dollars or something to get into this fund. That's correct. That's is correct. the strategy you've been using here in the past typically been available to only kind of high net worth investors, and this is kind of democratizing it a bit? Yes, it really is. It's, it's a way of bringing, allowing the, the investors that either don't have as much cash or, or want to diversify more, it allows them to be able to uh, get in where, where usually it's, it's hedge funds, uh, I'm sorry, it's uh, bigger players like family offices or just the really high net worth people that are able to do it. So it really it levels the playing field. So describe this new legislation uh, that allows this so-called Reg A plus fund to, to bring these opportunities to individual investors that probably has not been available in the past. Yeah, it, that's really it. I mean, it really it's, it's a matter of the, the regulations have changed to where um, we go through a, a pretty rigorous uh, pro- process with the SEC, and um, once we're approved for the Regulation A plus offering, then uh, then it, then we can uh, share it with individual investors uh, that are not not necessarily accredited. So it's it, it's definitely a game changer, I, I believe. And who are the right kind of investors for this? I mean, these people who would have money in CDs and money funds before that are unhappy with getting zero percent, or who who are the appropriate investors to try to go into this kind of fund? Yeah, I would say definitely it is it, it is that type. It's also what we found is. It's interesting. We find quite a few investors. I do a, a, a fair amount of mentoring and um, sort of community give back with a real estate group that we have. And a lot of people, they start out by really believing that they want to get involved and be more active on the real estate side of thing, on the uh, active part of it, of real estate investing and developing. But it ends up uh, many times that they, they just realize that um, it just it takes a lot of work to to do it from that perspective, and and investing this way, they're still able to share in the higher returns and able to share in profits, which is really that's I mean between cash flow and capital gains, it's really what what invest real estate investing is all about. And you, with this model, it achieves both of those. And much more of a passive way. You don't have to be a real estate investor or an expert yourself. Basically, let Tom do it for you is what it comes down to. Is what you're saying. Exactly. Yeah, I have. Uh, we have one investor in particular where he he uh, had his own business and, and he was looking to do more of the real estate, uh, more active real estate investing. And he found out uh, he he spent his time working to build his business and invested with us. That combination allowed him to do a lot better at his business. He's now really thriving. It's a software business. He's doing really well with what he's good at. And we're helping him out with what we're good at. And so he's getting great returns from his investment with us, but he's also really leveraging up what he's really good at on his own rather than spreading his efforts uh, across the board. Very good. We're going to take a break. Uh, Again, to find out more about the fund that Tom was mentioning, it's commercialrealestateincomefunds.com. The phone number 888-444-2102. We'll be back after this. 
stocks, bonds, investment opportunities, financial news, and talk. We can help. Call us now toll-free, 866-472-5790. 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. Capital Thinking takes you inside the worlds of policy, politics, law, and business. What happens in government, the legal arena, and the business world impacts your business every day. And we're going to take you on a behind-the-scenes tour of it all. Each week, we'll bring you unfiltered conversation with a variety of influential policymakers and leaders. Squire Patton Boggs will be your guide as Capital Thinking tours the halls of power. Join us for Capital Thinking on the Voice America Business Channel each Thursday at noon Eastern and 9 a.m. Pacific Time. Have you had a chance to check out Voice America's online magazine and blog, Press Pass? If you love our hosts and shows, check out articles that give an even deeper perspective. Plus topics about health and fitness, movie reviews, philosophy, business tips and tactics, spirituality, positive thought, current events, and even more about your favorite host. It's just a click away at VAPressPass.com. That's VAPressPass.com. VA Press Pass by Voice America. All access, all the time. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. You've been listening to The Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman. If you have a question for Jordan or his guest, please call us now at 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Now back to Jordan. Welcome back to The Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest this hour is Tom Bregelman. He's the CEO at GCA Equity Partners based in Campbell, California. He also has a new fund called the Commercial Real Estate Income Fund, which you can find out about at commercialrealestateincomefunds.com or 888-444-2102. Welcome back to the show, Tom. Thank you, Jordan. So you, in, in working with both investors and developer partners, you have what you call the collaborative approach. So it's a win-win for everybody. Describe yes. how the collaborative approach works. And actually, I think you're doing a book on that pretty soon as well. So describe how that can work for everybody. Right, right. So uh, having been a contractor developer for most of my life uh, to date, it's been, uh, I really feel like I understand sort of the contractor perspective. Um, the The idea that we can leverage up what we're good at and let other people help fill in the gap. And so what the approach that I like using when when we use a collaborative approach like this it really helps align everybody's interest. It's set up in a way where everybody whether it's a developer and what I do is I call it the active inv- investor and the passive investor. Passive meaning the one that may have more cash and the active the one that has the deal. And so what we do is we, we, we team up passive and active investors, and by doing that, by really creating a good, solid, uh, collaborative team approach, what it does is it, it, it increases the efficiencies. It gets everybody pulling in the same direction. Everybody is working for that same end cause, and that is for the project to be very successful and have a lot of profits. And so... But again, by doing that, it'll make things run more efficiently. Uh, projects will get done on time. Projects will just be more profitable. They'll be less risky because everything is, is happening efficiently. And uh, it, just, it just really reduces the risk if you can get that formula down. 
and uh, for us, it's been uh, it's been working out really well. So that that's really the basis of it. Give me a bit of your track record of having done these collaborative deals for a long time. Uh, sure. So I I was uh, like I mentioned, I was a developer contractor for quite a few years up until about uh, seven years ago. I think seven years ago it was. I started on the lending side of the equation, and the part of the reason I think I got the, the traction I did or the, 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 the quick start was because of that understanding of working with developers. I was able to leverage up what I was good at, and I could understand exactly what it was that, that they were looking for. And so we've been, over the last, oh, I think it was just over the last 18 months, we've done over $100 million in uh, real estate projects. Here in the Bay Area, we're in about a dozen states right now, and um, you know the the model is working well. And and one thing about it, because it's it's a solid approach. It's a it's a it's an approach that will work regardless of where the market is going. So um, whenever there's good solid collaboration between the two parties, again, there's efficiencies there. There's it's it's a different set of dynamics that that really makes it work. Um, in in virtually any market, virtually any any sort of uh, whether the market, even when the market is going down, there are certain strategies that can be used with this collaborative approach that really can be uh, very very lucrative. So, from the investor's point of view, uh, they get that extra profit sharing because the developer is willing to give up a piece of the profit in order to get a lower interest rate than he would get otherwise. Is that right? Exactly, exactly. And, and the developer is willing to do that because he can, he can do what he's best at. He can probably do two or three times more projects because he doesn't have to spend time looking for the money and because he, doesn't, he knows that he's got a good, solid money partner there that's going to back everything that he needs to do. And so he can leverage up that way, and that's why he's willing to share. And it, it, it really becomes a good, cohesive team by doing it that way. So why can these developers, if they're good developers, not go to banks and get traditional loans, construction loans, for a shorter period of time at lower interest rates uh, and therefore you know, avoid having to pay the high interest rates to you? Sure. Yeah, there are a number of reasons. And, and believe it or not, there are, we've got some very, very high-level, sophisticated developers that do this model, not, not necessarily because of the cost of money even. Um, but let's just start with the banks. The banks they will lend money. The problem is that a lot of times they're way too slow for the timing that's needed to get that, that really good solid project funded. So when a project comes on the market, generally speaking, it has to move fairly quickly if you're going to be able to get it picked up and, and uh, um, um, under control, under, under your control. You have to have the financing available right away. And banks definitely take a lot longer than what, what we're able to fund uh, the, the timeline that we need for funding deals. And so timing is one thing. Uh, we also, because we vet the projects as though we are going to take them over, we were, we're comfortable that if we had to take them over, we could. We have the team to do it. And so we're able to lend a bit higher than what a bank would lend as well. So we can, we can uh, go to a, higher, a bit higher loan to value. We, our, our maximum is... Uh, uh, target maximum is 70% of the future value of the property. So, um, so, and where banks may not go that high, 
Um, there are other reasons that developers will do this too. There, we've got one developer. He uh, he's got uh, uh, last time we checked, he had a forty forty two million dollar net worth, and he was still doing projects with us with this same uh, profit sharing model. Just because we have we've built that that um, that relationship, the efficiencies are there. He doesn't have to worry about uh, other about the financing end of it. We just it, it's really like a joint venture partnership, except that we we do the lending in a. Uh, it's a lending model where we share in the profits. Have the banks gotten tighter since the financial crisis and Dodd-Frank and all the regulations that came along and made it more difficult and slower to get loans through traditional banks? Yes, definitely they have, not only for residential uh, owner-occupied, but uh, which we don't, we don't work in that area. We, we only do non-owner-occupied, but definitely that has tightened things up. The, one of the bigger challenges is, let's say you have a rehab, even if it's a moderate rehab, moderate to heavy, let's say, the, the chances of that lender, that bank, being able to get this, whatever project it may be, to fit inside their, their tight box or their tight criteria, it, it can be done, but it, sometimes it'll take four, five, six months just to get to that point, and that just the timing on it and the, the effort for trying to get it to fit right into that box, it, it just makes it really tough to do it sometimes. So you talk about the collaborative approach. Your, your new book is going to be called Collaborative Real Estate Investing. Is this something that the average investor can learn to do as well, or does it take only somebody like you with years of experience and lots of relationships to make it work? Um, it, investors definitely can do it themselves it's not it's not necessarily going to be easy but my the book is about it really walks through the process of of an active investor approaching a passive investor how to approach how to how to how to uh, present how to show how to find a deal and it shows a passive investor exactly what they need to ask for how, what they need to see what they need to be aware of risk management all of the all of the things that are needed and so it is something that uh, the average investor, it, 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 it's, it definitely can be done. It does take, um, it takes a really good solid team and that's, that's what a good share of the book is about is, is creating that good solid team to know that the project will be kept safe, to know that the project will happen on time and on budget. So uh, yeah, so my goal with the book is really to teach the active investor exactly how to work with the passive investor and the passive investor exactly how to work with the active investor in this collaborative approach so that together they can have a, a better, safer, more profitable deal. Now you do this teaching both individually through mentoring and through real estate investment clubs. Explain how that works a little bit. Uh, sure. When I, uh, uh, I started the, it's called the Bay Area Real Estate for Investors meetup group in uh, California. I started it in December of 2010. We now have just over 2,200 members in it. And I think what, what has caused that, that uh, club to be so successful is the fact that we really push collaboration. We push uh, working together. We, it's more of the abundance mentality rather than the scarcity mentality. So it's interesting seeing it, the typical meeting will have usually we'll have about a eighty to a hundred people at the meeting, and it'll be a multiple. Uh, there there might be eight or nine or ten private lenders. There might be 
private investors, and there will be people with deals, wholesalers, the whole gamut. But because we really, even at the meeting, we really encourage working together, there are a lot of people that have put deals together right in that room. And I've been asked quite a few times, why in the world would I do that? Because aren't they just, aren't they just taking away from, from, your, from my... Um, sort of my investor pool and I said no I'd you know I'd much rather everybody be really successful at, at what they're doing everybody have safe deals going there, there's when when deals are structured properly when deals are put together in the right way there is there are so many opportunities out there right now that we'd never be able to uh, to get close to to getting all the the good projects done out there is that different than most people in the real estate Particularly in the real estate education business, do they do what you're doing? Well, I think the difference is that depending on who the, who the groups are, I think a lot of times what will happen is that, that either they get the investor to a certain point where then it requires additional training, which is uh, some additional fees or costs or whatever. But in this case, it's really... Uh, it's 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 about laying it all out in front of people so that they can do everything that that they can do it all themselves and so yeah i would say in, in that way it probably is different um but i've just found over the years that that really having that collaborative approach not not the scarcity uh of i got to i got to have all the deals myself or i got to make all this happen myself things just run so much more smooth so much more efficient when there is that collaborative approach very good. We're going to take a break. This is Jordan Goodman of The Money Answer Show. My guest this hour is Tom Bregelman. He is the CEO at GCA Equity Partners. As you can see, he runs investment clubs in the Bay Area. Uh, and so people can do it on their own. If they want him to do it for them, you can go to the website, commercialrealestateincomefunds.com, or call 888-444-2102 to have him do it for you completely passively. We'll be back after this. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. We hear it and read about it every day in the news. America is heading over a fiscal cliff. Home prices are still receding and unemployment growing. How can you preserve and increase your wealth in this kind of economy? Tune in to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with host Jay Taylor. Jay will explain the decline of our monetary system and the economy and will give you winning investment ideas and the tools to protect and increase your wealth. Turning Hard Times into Good Times with Jay Taylor can be heard Tuesdays at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, 12 noon Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. What if every day was a good day for business? Because every decision you made was the best choice. What if you could receive regular input from credible sources and could acquire all the precise information you need exactly when you need it so you can make the right decision every single time? Because There's More challenges you to make better decisions. Join Laura Ellis every Monday at 9 a.m. Eastern, 6 a.m. Pacific, and 2 p.m. GMT on the Voice America Business Channel and learn how to think differently for better decisions, better business. Get the news on our shows and other happenings by following us on Twitter. Find us at VoiceAmericaTRN or Twitter.com forward slash VoiceAmericaTRN. 
You've been listening to The Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman. If you have a question for Jordan or his guest, please call us now at 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Now back to Jordan. Welcome back to The Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest this hour is Tom Bregelman, CEO of GCA Equity Partners and the Managing Director at the Commercial Real Estate Income Fund, uh, which you can find out about at commercialrealestateincomefunds.com or 888-444-2102. Welcome back to the show, Tom. Thank you, Jordan. So tell me a little bit about what are some of the big mistakes that people make in investing in real estate? They see these shows on TV, you know, kind of instant flip, that makes it look really easy. They right. go to a course. What are some of the mistakes that people get, get wrapped up in real estate investing these days? Sure. Yeah, I think, uh, you know, thinking through it, I would say that the, the, probably the biggest thing is that it's not being aware of the potential risks that are out there. Uh, it's too easy. The tendency is there to, to be coming from a, a, uh, some seminar or whatever it might be and just really being hyped up, ready to, ready to go do deals. But in fact, there's just so much that needs to be that the investor needs to be aware of before they get involved with a project. And I, I I tell a lot of the people that I mentor that that I'd much rather they'd spend four, five, six more days in front of the computer doing their due diligence or in front of on their desk just doing all of the upfront work and then not have a deal get done because they found the risks in it, then for them to jump into a deal and then spend months and months trying to get through the deal and not have any profit in, in it in the back end. So I think it's, it's really about not being careful that, that we see the downside of potential deals. And, and there are many good ways to mitigate risks on a project. Um, I, I tell you, we've got a checklist that's well, I say 700 items on the checklist, but I'm, I haven't checked lately, but it's probably up to a thousand items on the checklist that we go through. And I, I think it's really important for new investors, and I, I teach this in some of my classes, that they should always have a notebook by their desk. Anytime they hear of any potential risk, whether that's something they've learned or something they hear that somebody else had an issue with, build that checklist, get it started, get, and always be adding to that checklist of things that could possibly go wrong. What are some, just give me some examples, Tom. What are some things that can go wrong that the novice real estate investor might not expect that can make a deal go, go sideways? Sure, sure. So, you know, as, as a, um, you know, let's say that the, uh, let me just think here. For instance, let's use uh, paying the interest on the mortgage or interest on the loan being sure that the if if you're the passive investor and you're working passive investor meaning the the side with the money and you're working with a an active investor doing the deal making sure that there are provisions for having those interest reserves held in a third party escrow account um another one is to make sure that everybody on the team has some skin in the deal and by that I mean that there's something that everybody has something to lose if they decide to walk away from the project. Um, if if um, if something, let's say, it, one gets into a deal and that the active investor didn't have any any skin in the game, even if they even if they decide to use labor or material as skin in the game, 
that still really isn't anything that they're going to lose or very minimal amount of things that they could lose if they're going to, uh, rather than walk away, if the deal starts to go sideways. And so you really want to make sure that they can... Um, that, make sure, that everybody sure everybody's will... committed, that they've got right. a commitment to the deal to make it all work out. Yes. Right, exactly. What are some of the things that you do as a real estate manager to create safety for the investor um, to kind of manage all the risks we just talked about? Yeah. Uh, okay, so based on what I was just saying there, one of the things we do, we require everybody to have skin in the game. We require 10 to 15 percent of the total amount of cash in as skin by the active investor, the, the party that's doing the work. We require interest reserves in the uh, in a third-party escrow account. We, we don't go over the 70% loan-to-value. So a lot of the deals that get brought to us, we don't fund because there's not enough margin in them. We require uh, third-party appraisals, third-party broker price opinions. Um, we require a line item budget, a defined scope of work with with a, a, a schedule uh, like a, a draw schedule for the for the full term of the project. Uh, there's just a, a lot of those types of things that have to be built into the project or into the uh, into the uh, package so that everybody stays safe in the deal. And if something goes wrong, how can you kind of get involved and write the ship? Yeah, so I think that's one of the advantages that we have, and that is just our core team of four people. We've got well over 100 years of experience uh, uh, of the core four people that are doing the due diligence and project management side of things. And so we, we basically vet every deal as though we are going to take it over. We never want to take over any projects, and we've only had to do it a couple of times. One, the most recent was when our borrower died. But, but we we want to make sure that we are able to take over that project. That we would be happy to do it ourselves. That's the type of deal that we lend on, so that if we ever do need to, that we can step in. Um, another one that's really important I forgot to mention is the construction reserve account. So, if there's construction being done on a project that there's enough put into a reserve account, a third-party reserve account, so that we know that each month there's going to be enough there to pay for the work that's being done. We require inspections on the property on a, on a regular basis. We visit the sites on a regular basis. So we really keep a, a hands-on approach to the, even though it's a lending model, we do it so, so much more like a joint venture model than, than, than what would probably be typical. So those on the construction drawdown, you're paying out the contractor as the work is done and inspected that it's done right, as opposed to giving them a huge amount up front, and that gives you a level of safety, is that what you're saying? Exactly, yes. Either we're out on site or our inspectors are out on site and uh, verifying all of the work is done before any of the funds get released for that particular draw, um, uh, draw schedule or draw point. Uh, do you see a big in, uh, influx of foreign money into real estate these days from China and Japan and India and South America and so on? What is the impact having on real estate these days? Well, I think so. I th we, we have a couple of investors that, uh, from Japan that they are investing in some of our projects here in the Bay Area. Uh, we are seeing more interest in that. I think with the, 
with the uh, everything going on in the market, I, it, it, I think people are looking for more stability. Um, and so, yeah, it really it, it, it keeps the keeps the demand up in in the uh, U.S. for for real estate. What are some of the specific projects that you like to do? Types of projects uh, these days. Mm-hmm. Well, we we do we work for a uh, we want a diversified portfolio, and yet we want to stay we want to keep it on a, a, a focused enough so that we don't uh, so we don't scatter ourselves. So we we balance it between um, between the two. We diversify in different geographic areas, and so that being said, we do like things like uh, senior living. We like student rental. Those two are are probably on the top of our list of favorites because they are they'll be quite stable over time, and um, if 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 the economy were to slow down, people still need the um, the the rental places, and so those we do those. We also have been involved with some new construction, uh, smaller developments with new construction. We like those because they can be uh, uh, sort of a cookie cutter approach where we get our we get our team set with a developer and they're able to get going and and as each property sells they can restart another another set of properties another set of homes so we like we like that um, yeah and those those are those are some of the areas and we do new construction and we do uh, rehab or renovation renovation. Very good. Well, thanks so much. Uh, my guest this hour has been Tom Bregelman. He's the CEO at the GCA Equity Partners Fund, uh, and he's got a new fund uh, to put everything he's talked about into action, uh, which you can find out more about at commercialrealestateincomefunds.com or call 888-444-2102. Thanks so much for being a guest on the show, Tom. Thank you, Jordan. It's a pleasure. Thanks, and we'll be back with another edition of The Money Answer Show next week. Goodbye for now. Thank you for joining Jordan Goodman and the Money Answer Show. If you have a question for Jordan, please visit his website at www.moneyanswers.com. And be sure to tune in every Monday at 12 p.m. Pacific Standard Time right here on Voice America Business. See you next week.